This is Jerry DiPiano, and you are listening to the Love Mia Vita podcast. Today, my podcast guest is someone that some of you may remember because she did another podcast with us on sex and positivity. That is Dr. Juliana Hauser. And for those of you that didn't listen to the podcast, just a brief intro on Dr. Hauser. She leads conversations about relationships, agency, sexuality, intimacy, and so much more. She's super approachable. She's a professional. She has a tremendous amount of expertise. And I will tell you, I have a lot of fun working with her. And I'm sure as her clients, they enjoy the same. But Dr. Hauser has a distinguished background. She studied and received her PhD in counseling education from the College of William and Mary. She is a thought leader and sexpert, diving deep into the hard to have conversations that we all need to be having. She has spent decades counseling and supporting thousands of individuals and partners on their paths to discover their sexual agency, relationship, intimacy, and fulfilling sexual connection. Now, for those of you that want to learn more about Dr. Hauser, uh, the jewel of her offering is the Revealed course, and I encourage you to check that out. So uh, you can check it out at dr-juliana.com. You'll learn a little bit more about all the different programs that she offers, and you can do those in person or online, depending upon where you happen to reside. But we are so excited to have you here with us, Juliana. And today's topic is not as much fun as talking about sex and intimacy, but it is equally and probably even more important that we talk about agency in the context of that horrible decision to overturn Roe. And for those women out there that are living in states across the United States where this is changing day by day, we feel for you. We're, we have our own thoughts on this. And Juliana, um, tell me where you were, what you were thinking the day you learned, June 24th. Mm -hmm. It happened. And, and thank you for having me back. I'm always excited to have a conversation with you. Um, okay, so, you know, actually, when you're going through that, I had this range of emotions. And soon as you started, as soon as you named, where were you the day that row is over, it, it just changes in my body. Uh, and I do think for um, a lot of us in the United States, this will be one of those days that you remember. You remember where you were and what happened and what it was like. For me, I was uh, working all day and uh, missed it for a couple of hours. And then my phone was blowing up. And um, uh, the first call I got was actually from my mom. And uh, she's like, have you heard? And I only had a few minutes in between sessions and was just devastated, in shock, devastated, in a different kind of shock. Uh, and. Um, and then when my workday was done, um, I had time to sit with it and I cried and I was angry and I started calling colleagues and friends. Um, and I didn't speak to one person who hadn't cried that day. Everyone said at some point they had cried uh, and felt a lot of anger. That uh, that was really interesting too. And then and from the, the week after, I didn't have one client and I have a wide variety of clients that for why they see me and who they are, who didn't bring it up to me too. Uh, and I, um, that night I remember sitting on my front porch 
and I had a friend come over and we were out, out uh, pretty late sitting there and, and it was started pouring down rain. And I started talking through what this means. Start talking through the stories that I know of friends and clients who have experienced this, uh, that place where you have to make the decision uh, with all different kinds of stories and circumstances. And then I started grieving for the trauma they were gonna have to go through reliving it because it's in the news again. I started thinking of the, my fear. I, I really noticed how fearful I became of what does this mean? I knew that there were still lots of questions from actually what had come out and, and that there's, and I live in Kentucky, so we were a trigger state and there was lots of fear circling about that and what this meant for, for women and, and children and coming uh, down the pike and, and for those uh, who were involved in, in a kind of unwanted pregnancy um, or complicated pregnancy. And, uh, I had, I remember this one phone call I had with a friend from college and her daughter's in college now. And she said that her daughter got a group of their friends together and they all started uh, deleting apps that were, uh, that were um, uh, tracking their periods and crying and uh, already exchanging phone numbers of doctors and trying to get plan B and galvanizing. And although I thought there was beauty in the way that women come together, it literally made me sick to my stomach that as much as we know in our generation and those before us and the decades that you and I have been fighting for this, here we are. How in the world is this happening? And how are they having to do this? I work with clients um, in other countries too, and they all started it with, I'm so sorry of what's happening in the U.S., this is horrific. How are you doing? Um, so that's a small taste as to what that day was like um, and the days afterwards. Lots of anger, lots of sadness and fear. And also like, all right, we're going to do it. We're going we're gonna to roll our sleeves up and we're going to do it. We shouldn't have to, but we're going to. That's pretty much describes what it was like for, for me. And as you know, I've been working in women's health my entire career, even before Fem Pharma was a twinkle in my eye. I was working in women's health care, and I was always a feminist, which is a good thing. It's not a bad thing to want to support women and advocate for women on all levels, but especially in their health care. And I kept thinking about how angry I was that for decades, women like me and others have fought for birth control, and we fought for other reproductive rights, and we fought for different options for women. And this was a huge setback. So it made me angry and frustrated and sad that this is where we were, that we had legislators who know nothing about women's bodies, who know nothing about women's health, mental health, physical health, it's all wrapped up together. They don't, they cannot make a decision for you and me or any woman listening to this podcast. It really is about a woman's decision. And that's really one of the reasons why we are galvanizing. We are galvanizing at Fem Pharma. We will do this in the most professional and productive way, a peaceful way, but a way that demonstrates that we have the knowledge of women's health care, 
We always have, we always will. And we have galvanized with women like yourself and others who are experts in mental health, in physical health, in the politics of health, in public health, to bring our voices to the right folks at the right time so that they understand that this is not just a decision to be made by a legislator. And with that, it's probably important for us to dive into what is the impact of this decision on women from a mental health perspective, because it is not to be taken lightly. It isn't. And the responses in mental health to that day, to the decision is, has a variety um, to it. But I would say one of the common themes is, and, and, uh, and it's hard to, in some ways, speak to it's a feeling and it's that knowing that nod that so many of 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 us head to each other of the mixture of outrage and sadness and 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 fear but i would say the common thread is it feels earth-shaking to have your agency taken from you especially by a country and a government where you hoped to be protected and to feel important and that you matter. And that feeling of vulnerability when this decision came down of this, the decision is impactful. This decision came from a belief a lot of us felt of we, we don't matter. And if that can happen, what can happen next? And so the mental health of that is um, anxiety, all levels of anxiety, depression, fear, giving up, um, rage, uh, a, a pooling of no, this is not going to happen. And how can this happen? And then on a, a different side of mental health is we're in this together. There are some beautiful things that also came out from this of other genders having support and, and being just as outraged by this on behalf. Um, I remember seeing this one post that simply said, please hug a woman today. And thinking that's, that sums up a lot. And um, sometimes that's all that can be done. And, uh, and what I saw is, you know, something that in general, women do well together, those who identify as women, uh, is collectively supporting one another and making sure that we are strengthening the network, finding who needs what. Um, I saw recently, the I think it was the Finnish parliament did a video all together. Have you seen this? Um, yeah. That, that yeah. they are saying to our American sisters, we are here. And they had this V, it's a really powerful and very quick video, but hearing that, that this matters to other people, even if parts of our government didn't. And I know there's complexity to this law and we don't know exactly what's happening state to state or what's gonna happen in the years to come, but it's, it's important to not feel alone in this. And when you collectively as a gender feel um, that your agency is at risk and then you see that it's at risk, it profound you, it affects you immediately and it affects you in your emotions and it affects you of your feeling of trust and safety. So when we, we, we continually speak of agency, but for those women who don't understand the concept of agency, perhaps we can 
start with that and then explain why this has such a profound impact on their agency. Mm -hmm. It's a word I use a lot. I've been researching it for um, several decades and it, it is difficult. We could have a whole <laughs> podcast just on explaining what agency is, <laughs> uh, but it's, in, in general, what we're talking about with agency is that you, one, understand that you have decisions that you need to be a part of, that you need to be actively and intentionally making decisions in your life and for your life. That's, that's the headline of it. But the complexity of agency and how I see it as different as being empowered is that you, you take responsibility for your decisions. You take importance in that you, how you make a decision, like your confidence in making a decision, that you actually do make a decision with action and purpose instead of by committee or uh, just by letting things happen, and that you understand how to respond to the consequences of your decisions, the intended and unintended consequences. And then finally, it's that you, that you make meaning of how all of those steps happen leading up to how your decisions and the consequences come to bear. You either react with resiliency or you react with defensiveness and protectiveness. So that's one person's experience of agency. And what's important, especially in the context of what we're talking about with Roe, is your agency isn't in a bubble. Your agency interacts with other people's agency. And that's wonderful when you have the same needs and wants and when your decision-making makes sense and, and coincides with each other. But agency is really important and in fact critical and it's life-saving and life-changing when your agency actually is not symbiotic with somebody else's agency and you have to figure out how to make that happen together. What we saw with Roe is that it didn't work. Our, Agencies had discrepancies and one person's agency or view of things, there was a power differential and one voice came over the others and that robbed other people of their agency and their ability to make decisions. I, I like the, the way in which you explain agency and I was wondering if we could break that apart starting with the various components and check boxes as to how this defeated agency, how this undermines agency, because clearly we're missing on every single one of these points. And perhaps we can dissect that a little bit for our listeners. And, and um, that brings us back to why this was such a horrible day for all of us. Mm -hmm. So, and, and there's, there's many answers to each of these five steps. But so the first step is that you know there's a decision to be made. For, uh, for some people, they didn't even realize this was in the works and happening. So it was a complete shock to their system. Or they didn't know that the decision was going to be coming out in, at, at, in a soon time frame. So they felt completely off guard. Others thought, didn't realize or their vote didn't uh, exact change of people who would be supporting what they needed and wanted if they believed in uh, a pro-choice stance. So it felt like what decision actually... Where can I? Is it voting? Is it writing to the politicians? Is it becoming a politician? Where, where is the choice and the decision to be made in, in saying, I, I believe that we should be able to have protection under this law and legislation? Then I would also say when, when it came out and uh, people started understanding more of, of what the decision actually meant and didn't mean when people were, were realizing that 
this was going to go to the states instead of federal and there actually wasn't something that codified this into a federal law there, a lot of people didn't understand that either and so they're going through like so what decision could i have made i vaguely remember people talking that they sh this president should have done this or this president should have made this federal but you know my life got busy in this and when you realize afterwards like all of those times that i didn't I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. I didn't vote. I didn't write. I didn't, I didn't use my voice and my decision thinking it was going to be okay. Thinking that it, it no way could this be overturned, this basic right. Uh, I think that was, was surprising to a lot that they didn't know there was a decision to be made and that needed to be made um, and that they needed to have some action inside of it. And that felt vulnerable and tough and, and regret and also over um, overwhelming. So then the next step, uh, do you agree with that? Or do, what are your thoughts on that? I do agree. You, you weren't quite sure what decision you needed to make because you, don't, you didn't know from state to state or even from the standpoint of federal law what, the, what decisions you could make. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, second then is that you feel confident you can make a good decision that's aligned with your purpose and intention. And again, I think that that falls into a, a pretty similar category, which is, I think a lot of people, especially now, but before this, if we were to have talked the day before it came out, would have said, I don't, I don't know if I, if there's anything I can do that's going to make a difference. I don't, I, I feel confident in the decision that I've made, I, I think, but what really could I have done? What would, I don't know. How to get hold of my senator i don't know what congressman in fact you know what what is the likelihood that this is going to be overturned and so i think that a lot of people realize especially in this step um i feel pretty powerless so how can i make a good decision one if i don't know there's one to be made and two that i don't know really where i should place my power and place my voice in this process who's going to listen who is going to, where is my voice going to matter? So how can you have confidence if you don't even know who's, who's going to be hearing this out? Interestingly enough, for those of us that um, aren't going to be faced with this decision, like I don't have a, a, as they say, a dog in the hunt because I'm menopausal and I am not going to have an unplanned pregnancy because it would be a, it would be a medical miracle. Um, and I, I say that, you know, with tongue in cheek, but I, but I, also understand that for women who may be in the reproductive age group cohort, this this is pretty this is pretty horrible. Um, and trying to figure out what they do next, what what is the what is the next? Will they have a next? Because this keeps this unfolds on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And unless you are monitoring this, and at the end of this podcast, we will have some some notes that women can refer to that will enable them to find resources if they need to. There are still resources out there and, um, and we can direct them to those resources uh, so that at least they have some good information that's coming out from the agencies that are supporting pro-choice. So that moves us, Jerry, to the third one, which is that you make the decision, you do something active. And, and you make a great point that for, for some of us, it doesn't, it doesn't seem a face value for parts of this, for the most obvious part of what this means that, that we are most, we're unlikely to have an unwanted pregnancy um, for, this, for those of us who are in menopause or, or approaching that. And even though like, we have children that are gonna be affected by it, but just speaking to our, our own bodies, what I think this comes into to play for us 
is the ripple effect that who knows what this could mean for menopause care? Who knows what could happen further on down the line with us? And so we do have some decisions to be made that may not be about the actual decision of, am I going to keep this pregnancy or not? And what are my rights within that? But what are my rights to my health care? And where, where does that separate? And, you know, nope, that's not, this can't, nothing more can be taken. This, this shouldn't have been taken from us. What, what else is at risk and what does that mean? And where, what decision do we have of how much are we willing to risk um, to put ourselves out there for those that this does affect on a day-to-day basis? And then I, I think we also have a decision to be made about how we, how this will affect us in our communities how this will affect us in our schools, how this will affect the financial institutes and our, um, our, our government moving forward. And how do we, what decisions do we need to be making for those of us who interact with those who are in the reproductive times of their life, no matter what gender that is, how the decisions that we have to make are impactful, how we handle it, because they're watching us, they're watching us how we handle it. They, they also need us to help guide them along the way they need us to see our resiliency and that we we can we get to have an emotional reaction to this and then we need to get down to decision making and deciding where we are and i think this gets tricky too just like we've seen the past few years that that uh, families have have differing political views or, or differing views of, of the things that were happening in our social impact there's differences happening right now in families and in friendships of where they stand on this topic and so we have decisions to be made about what that means too. That affects our mental health, that, that affects our relationships. And I think if the younger generations are watching us too, of how do we navigate these differences, um, keep to the truth of who we are, keep our agency, um, but also enact safety measures for those um, that need this as well. You raise an interesting point. Um, about devaluing women and women's health and what that means to our self-esteem and what that means to our overall life satisfaction. And when we think about other women that are impacted by these decisions, those other women include us. We are the other women. Because if women are deprived of reproductive rights and they are devalued, what of a woman who is un- incapable of conceiving and must use alternative means. What does that mean to her? Will she be deprived of the opportunity to use alternative methods uh, to, in order to have a family? And what does that do to her agency? And for women who are in my age group cohort, does that mean that we are less valuable and valued than women who are capable of bearing children. So it does raise a lot of questions and it does, it does go back to the whole issue of self-esteem, um, impotence, if I can use that, right? That we feel that we have no way out. And, and those of us that are still able to make certain decisions because we have economic resources or we have access to those resources. We know where to find means to achieve, you know, our healthcare goals. That's wonderful. But to women who are deprived of economic resources or other types of resources and the knowledge 
they feel hopeless and helpless. And that's, that contributes to depression. And as you and I both know, women are more likely to suffer from major depressive disorder. So this exacerbates those depressive symptoms. It does. And, uh, and also a distrust in the institutes that can provide it. There are people who are, are unsure who to trust in the medical community. There are people who are trust distrusting um, insurance and companies and our government. And when you feel unsafe in many places in your life, especially something as important as health, then that absolutely affects your mental health too. When your basic needs aren't being met, like safety and trust and everything exacerbates, everything is harder. And you have a unshaky view of how you fit into the world and how you trust the world. So we, we, we covered the top three. Um, let's look at the, uh, the, the others on the, on the agency. Yes, two more. Yeah, so the fourth one is living with the consequences of your decisions intended and unintended. And I would say this is this this is often this is where people often meet me in my work is they have unintended consequences that they're dealing with, and there certainly were a lot of unintended consequences that happened, um, and people were facing on that day, of uh, this. Who knew this could happen? Who everyone feared it? We knew it was a possibility, but the fact that it was there, or not doing other, not doing as much, or or, or not being as active in um, in in our government. What, uh, what do you do when that happens? What do you do when you have unintended consequences that you couldn't have planned for and that you have to have resiliency in? And, and that leads me to the fifth one, which is we, we have to balance in between this third, fourth and fifth step of agency is we have to have a tolerance for ambiguity. That's really scary when lives are at stake, when, when things are really changing like this. It's hard to have any kind of tolerance for ambiguity, but ambiguity is really the leading to resiliency. You have to have uh, of some kind of adaptability of this is terrible. So like that night that I found out, I let myself cry. I let myself feel angry. I let myself have all those flooding of feelings. And then I slept and I woke up the next day and I was like, okay, so now what? Who knows what's going to happen? And I had to do a lot of checking in with myself of like, but you're going to be okay. This is going to be okay. And the world's going to move through this. And I, we're, we will figure this out. And that knowing that you're going to be okay is a luxury. It's a privilege to be able to say that because there are a lot of people that, that this decision doesn't necessarily mean they are going to be okay or that they're going to have a whole lot of hardships as a part of it. And so I acknowledge that also and that privilege also, but I've realized that it is paramount in decision-making for you to have a tolerance of you don't know how things are gonna to come to bear and that you can remain agile for the unintended things that come up and emotionally regulate yourself, but then also figure out where, where do I wanna go now? Because what's damaging to us in our cycle of decision-making is when we don't actively be a part of our decisions in our life, or we don't really do decisions that are aligned with our purpose and intention, or we are thrown if our plan doesn't come to bear, then, then we don't want to make decisions. Then we become more inactive. We distrust more in the world. What's the point of all of this? And who wants to feel hurt 
So many of the unintended consequences involve pain and, and negative emotions. Well, nobody wants to have that, but, but that's a part of things too. Just as painful as this experience was, and, and, and I deeply regret that it has happened. And I, and I am so sad that we are having to make, have these conversations about this and, uh, and have to come up with plans, we, but we will. And also, we look at the good in this too. We look at how, how powerful uh, those who identify as women are, how, how wonderful it is to have other gender supporting this decision how we will make a plan, we will figure this out, and we will be okay. And sometimes we won't be okay in this in this endeavor. But in the end, we want to make meaning that the world still is okay and safe, and that we can find our bits of safety within that, our communities that feed us and that connect us, and that it's important for us to make decisions. But even when things come to bear that it's not what we want, that we can still thrive and grow in our agency and grow in our agency in community together. We can do that, we will do that. And we will make meaning of this in a way that is positive and that is powerful and that is action oriented. We have demonstrated as women that we can accomplish many things as evidenced by Roe, the, the decision, the initial decision in 1973. We have been strong in many other ways. And perhaps this helps us to gain more strength, to remind ourselves that yes, we can have our decision-making put at risk, but I'll say at risk, but not lost, which comes back to agency. And that there are those of us that are paying attention, that are not going to sit by passively. So we will take action. Those of us that know what it's like to be deprived of agency and to have empathy for those women who were confronted with a decision, perhaps on a day when they were scheduled to have an abortion and that right was taken away from them. We cannot undo what happened in each woman's particular situation, but we can work to make that change for the, for the future. We can give our voices over to our legislators, to those that are in, a pos in positions to take action in a meaningful way. And in the meantime, there are many groups that have recently sprung up that will help women who are faced with this decision, even if they are residing in a state, a trigger state, or in a state which has very restrictive laws and that prohibits abortion, there are different organizations that may be helpful. And again, we wanna make sure that women understand that there are resources available. And there are, these are all not-for-profit organizations, organizations like Planned Parenthood who are working tirelessly. And by the way, the donations, the philanthropic contributions to Planned Parenthood skyrocketed during this time frame, which demonstrates an overwhelming support. And there are other organizations like them that have received support from, from donors because they care. So it's not all lost. Mm -hmm. 
I will say too, as I was sometimes grasping uh, and other times it came uh, in, a, in a flowed form, that the timing of this too, after everything our country has been through in the past few years, and that we've had to sort through a lot of social justice issues and uh, differences of opinions on a lot of things. That one thing that the feminist movement didn't do well previously was to include women of color, to include multiple genders as a part of the movement. We are positioned differently now. We have learned, we haven't learned everything and everything isn't perfect, but we've learned to do this differently and to include everyone into this problem solving notion and endeavor. And I think that is very powerful in the timing. And that makes me feel hopeful and excited that there are going to be many people at the table um, who can speak to what it's like to feel like a second class citizen, to feel like to that can explain in a deeper sense and a more generational sense too, of what it's like to, to not have privilege, to not feel like your government is supporting you. And, and I am, uh, I'm, I'm happy that this movement is going to have other voices added to the discussion that's going to make it richer, that's going to make the problem solving more creative. Um, and I think thusly more effective, more long lasting and more impenetrable moving forward. I, I totally agree with that. We, we briefly chatted about communities where there are less socioeconomic resources to put to bear and where the knowledge base is perhaps not as, as broad as some other uh, groups in the country and, and where communities have already been marginalized. And we could talk about diverse communities and we could talk about the LGBTQIA community. And these are all marginalized communities that have faced harsh discrimination and they have been left out of the conversation and they will not be left out of the conversation because in many ways they are impacted even more so because they have been marginalized, because they have been ignored. And you're right, that is not going to happen, isn't happening. We are making those advances. We're slow, we haven't done enough. And I'll be the first person to admit that we, may, we must make much more progress with all of our sisters and brothers in these communities and, and persons that define themselves in different ways. Mm -hmm. So, that that is changing the dynamic which is hopeful and beautiful and i do think that once i let things settle in and my uh my initial reaction uh to this dissipated some i thought okay uh-oh they better watch out we have we have changes afoot and strength in numbers and experience in diversity and um and now we've learned and now we've learned and, and I think I hear a whole lot of no mores and, and not again. And we're gonna, I, I hear a lot too of people realizing and then forgetting that this wasn't something that was completely, completely protected. It should be, but legally and legislatively it wasn't. And now it is so much more widely understood and known. Again, going back to agency that for a lot of, a lot of people didn't know that this wasn't a, a national protected, occurrence in our life and and now people do so that can be changed so now the knowledge going back to the first fate was there's a decision to be made now a lot more people know there's a decision to be made and that's powerful and exciting and that's agency in action and agency in community absolutely 
Uh, as we indicated early on in this podcast, there will be notes available with resources that one can avail oneself to. And we hope that if you are a woman who is facing um, a decision right now, that you'll check out those notes. And if you are a woman that cares, and, and we hope that, that you do care if you're listening to this, please bring your voices to bear. And the best way to do that is in the most positive and productive and peaceful way, because we do believe in kindness and we believe in peace. And we believe that that is the way to get things done in the most professional way. Elections are coming up. Please note the position of your legislators. Your vote does matter. Your vote does count. And it is the best way to ensure that your voice is heard. So although I'm not a politician, don't ever hope to be, I do believe in the political system and I do believe that it works. And these are the ways in which we get change in our country by voting. So that gives you agency. You have a decision. There is a decision to be made and it is coming up very soon. Mm -hmm. And a responsibility. Yes, it is. Juliana, it's always a pleasure. Did you have any parting thoughts for our listeners? I, um, I, I suggest for everyone um, give themselves the room to react to this how they need and want. Uh, for some, they need to be, be active in um, publicly and uh, in a social justice way. For others, they need this to be private and to be slower. Um, and all of those decisions are okay. And it's about taking care of yourself. It's not about, it's about not feeling alone. And, uh, and also I wanna end with thanking you for being a woman, a leader in the health industry and for caring about this topic um, and allowing us to speak about this freely. It's one thing about our country that it's, um, it's beautiful. We can even have these discussions and be in dissension with decisions that are made. Yes, it absolutely is. And as you know, we're on a mission. We've always been on a mission. I've been doing this for a very long time. I do care. I do it because I care, not out of greed and avarice. And you are not alone. This will not be the last conversation that we have on women's health and women's reproductive rights. There is so much more to be discussed. And Juliana, as a psychologist, you best know how we can help women to navigate through these difficult waters. But there is, there is an opportunity to navigate the ship to shore, if I may use a nautical term. And I know that together, women like you and I and many others that are participating in this broader conversation will make things happen and they will change the face of women's health. So once again, thank you, Dr. Juliana Hauser. It's always a pleasure to have these conversations with you. Stay tuned for the next conversation with Dr. Juliana. And remember, this is the Love Mia Veta podcast. Love your life. And we're here for you. Take care. Be well.